When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris taking it uh, way back in time as we go to 1998, which I can't believe it's been 25 years. We'll, we'll get there. Chris, my friend, it's been a while. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, back from another uh, back from another trip. Uh, it's good to be good to be back, and uh, I think well, we can probably get to uh, back into a rhythm again finally after all these all these interruptions and things that, that have been going on. So, yeah. I, uh, I I have to say, while you were gone, I had a chance to catch up on a lot of things, and I want to mention a couple of things um, that really caught my ear. In For the first time in what felt like forever, we got new music from Scar Symmetry. They came out with a single called Scorched Quadrant. Uh, if you like Scar Symmetry... You're going to like this. Um, it comes off their new album called The Singularity Phase 2 Xenopath. Oh, sorry, Xenotaph. It comes out on June 9th, and this single was really, really good. If you like their brand of melodic death metal, you will thoroughly enjoy this, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the album. I thought their last album was amongst the best material in their entire discography, and this seems like it's right in that same vein. Uh, the guitars were a little chunkier than I would have liked, but the uh, keyboards, you know, more than made up for for um, that thick guitar to a tone that they had. Did you have a chance to hear it? Uh, not yet, but I did uh, buy the single. Um, this is probably going to be like my first real full Scar Symmetry deep dive. Unless we did, did we do one of their albums? Not yet, not yet. Okay. I, I think I yeah, think so, we might be doing. So I, I don't know that I've ever actually really dug into any of their albums so this uh, this i'm making a point when this comes out to uh to really give it a, a good listen um but uh i will check it out i have a i came I, I kept an eye on stuff while i was away um and i just found myself jumping onto itunes and just buying singles because it, it was like every time i looked like somebody else was dropping uh, a, a new single you know night flight and bloodbound and uh Art Nation, like, I'm not going to go into specifics because I haven't actually had a chance to listen to anything, but um, just a lot of stuff. Um, I, I, I'm i going to get to it eventually, but I'm definitely behind right now. But uh, Scar Symmetry is on the list with many, other, I'll, many I'll, others. Um, you mentioned one in particular that I did check out, which was the Art Nation single. 
that song was awesome. I cannot impress upon everyone enough. Um, check this out. It was the same sound that they've had for the last few albums, but it had a little more like, I don't want to say balls, but like, it was like a, it was a heavier release. And it reminded me of like, if you kind of dialed up their sound and just kind of made it a little bit heavier, it really hit the spot for me. It was one of my favorite songs that I've heard this year. And if the album is any indication, they've gone this heavier direction and I'm definitely a fan. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye out for that album when it comes out. Um, and two other albums that I had a chance to listen to actually yesterday and today, the new Crownlands album, Fearless. If you are a fan of Rush, you have to run and check this album out. I am not typically a fan of when a band does what can otherwise be described as just a tribute to another band, but they do it so well that it's worth checking out. I, um, they basically put a modern spin on 2112 era rush, which is like the biggest compliment I can give them. It's an album that I only listened to once so far, but I will definitely be going back to, uh, if you're into that prog rock, check them out. And the other one I wanted to mention was the new power wolf. I listened to that today and I got to be honest with you, you know, I, I've told you my thoughts on the band, but their live show completely ch changed my perception of them. And I enjoyed that listen as well. It was, I don't know if it's something I'm going to go back to a thousand times, but it was a very enjoyable listen for the, for the one time I've played it so far. Yeah. So all things that I have, uh, on my, on my list of things to check out, um, including the new ad infinitum album that came out, uh, last week, um, that is also uh, high on my list. Um, I did get a chance to check out the new Floor, the Floor album, Floor Jansen's solo album, and, and the new Baby Metal album, and I enjoyed both of those. I'll definitely be going back to those two, but um, you know, I still want to listen to Demons Down and Nay Oblivious new album. And uh, there's, I have a few things, but I, I don't think it's anything that I'm gonna end up drowning over. Um, it, it's been a it's been a good year so far. I have to say we're 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 into uh, into April, and there's been a lot of really good uh, releases. So yeah, um, I, I agree. I think, I think the I think the list is going to be way more um, uh, dense, as that word tends to pop up uh, with us uh, when we get to the end of the year. And I feel like you're going to start cutting stuff at that point to to kind of like cut it down to fifty or whatever, because I can already see it's going to be kind of bloated because stuff on the back end is just more enjoyable in my opinion than it was last year. You know, stuff that I anticipate putting at 42 or 50 or whatever, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be good. I'll, I'll tell you one little story. I don't think I had a chance to tell you even offline. Uh, I went to see Queensryche on Saturday night and they put on a phenomenal show. They were very loud, but the set itself was really good. They were so tight. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. They're actually playing in New York city tonight as well, but I, I got to see the long Island show, but I'll tell you a funny story. Marty Friedman was one of the openers, obviously, of Megadeth theme, and he was doing a set of instrumental material with his band, the Marty Friedman Band, and really interesting stuff. I had never heard his solo material, but he's such a good guitar player that it was – it had a very, like, Japanese influence because I think he's living in Japan now. His whole band is from Japan, so really interesting music, and he's playing his set, and about halfway through the set, he ends his song, and he starts playing – about two or three minutes of um, Tornado of Souls. And I like obviously started marking out because I, I've never heard him play this material. So even though it was only two minutes, I just, I was in absolute heaven. 
and the song ends and um the crowd's kind of going crazy because obviously I don't know that everyone was familiar with his solo stuff but I don't know that there were many people in that room that did not know Tornado of Soul so he gets a you know a big rousing ovation after that track and the guy behind me says and I will never forget it he goes actually I'll tell you exactly what it was he says and I quote he says play some Megadeth dude but he wasn't kidding I think that he didn't realize that he actually just played like two minutes of a Megadeth song and I'm like this guy wouldn't know Megadeth if it slapped him in the face and I was going to turn around and look at him but I, I didn't get I didn't get a good look but the whole thing it just it was like a cringeworthy moment because he literally played the only two minutes of Megadeth in his entire 45 minute set and he's complaining that he didn't play any Megadeth. I don't know. The, the story, it, it, it maybe had to be there. I thought it was funny. It's it's funny you mentioned that song because um, I heard it on the radio yesterday. Oh, so. did you really? Yeah. So, so I, as soon as I got in the car to head over to my parents' house for dinner, uh, I had, um, I think Ozzy's Boneyard was just happened to be on, and that was the song that was playing when I got in the car. Just as good as we covered it uh, a couple of years ago. That, that album never gets old. Yeah, um, maybe that guy should have listened to it. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but that being said, we are doing one of your albums this week, and it's a, it's an album that I knew we would get to. I just wasn't quite sure when. It's our second foray into an Ed Guy album, except this time we go back to January 15th, 1998, and we do Ed Guy's Vainglory Opera. A real classic for us, I think, because this was in our formative years of European power metal back uh, 25 years ago. Um, what I'm curious to know is what were your thoughts, you know, just broadly speaking on this album, nostalgia aside, as you listen to it again, I would have to think for one of the first times in a while. Uh, it's, you know, I always thought this was... Um a better album than theater of salvation, but I don't know that I feel that way anymore. Actually, now that I've gone back and listened to it and, and we did theater of salvation not too long ago. Um, although it may have been almost two years ago now that I think about it, but um, I think that this album might have, there's some songs on this album that are better than any of the songs on theater of salvation, but I think theater of salvation on the whole might be a better album start to finish and you know i'll get into specific reasons why as we go track by track but um there's definitely a lot of uh a lot of good nostalgia feels here and it's it's i still think it's a really good album i just don't know i don't know that i would call it like the definitive ed guy album anymore um it certainly is their breakout album though i don't think that can be denied yeah it's it's really their third or maybe I guess some would say their second official studio album. I never thought it was as good as Theater of Salvation, not just because the production isn't as good, but I always thought it was a little off, like unbalanced is the word I would use. In other words, there's certain tracks on this album that are phenomenal and they stand the test of time. And they're some of the most classic um, late 90s, power metal album you know power metal songs and then there's other ones that kind of lost me back in the day and, and i gotta be honest having gone back to it i i didn't love the album as much as i used to and i used to like it a lot although i thought it was second to theater 
I didn't love it as much this time. And I was listening to it even with the nostalgic lens, but something was missing on some of these tracks for me. And I'll get to those, but I, it's interesting because I was looking back and like, I think of bands like obviously Halloween, which we talk about a lot, but even Angra and Stradivarius. And I think I gravitate towards those bands a little more than Ed Guy, even though I would probably consider myself an absolute Avantasia freak when it came to those first few Avantasia albums. Uh, yeah, all fair uh, comments. Um, I, I just think, uh, I think maybe because at the time, I literally owned this and Theater of Salvation. Like, those were my two Ed Guy albums. And then Mandrake would come out, followed by Hellfire Club, which Hellfire Club, I think, is in my argument for Ed Guy's best album, Start to Finish. I think Mandrake also has a lot of really, really strong songs. So to me, like these, those four albums along with Theater of Salvation were to me the real heyday of Ed Guy before they started to maybe get a little bit too goofy and a little bit too, like they, they kind of steered away from the, the classic power metal sound that they had, who they were really one of the pioneers of the, the late, like the mid to late nineties power metal that thought that followed you know the hell the halloween and gamma ray you know blind guardian uh you know the the forefathers if you will ed guy was kind of like that top of that second wave of of power metal bands um so you could see you could see a lot of the brilliance is starting to come through here um there's some good tracks on kingdom of madness which preceded this, and they would go on and re-record uh, the the um, Savage Poetry, which um, the re-recorded version is outstanding. Uh, the songwriting, it, you could tell even at a really young age, the songwriting was there. It's just, if you've ever listened to that original album, I, it, it's, I don't know if the band considers it a demo, but it, it's pretty rough Ooh, sounding. It's rough, um, yeah. But uh, you could. But when they re-recorded it, it's actually one of my favorite Ed Guy albums. The re-recorded version of it. Um, I almost forgot to mention it um, in mentioning those other four albums. I believe that came out in between Theater and uh, Mandrake. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, there was some good stuff on Kingdom of Madness, which was I think their first like full-length album. But uh, yeah, this to me was really the breakout. I think where people really were started to pay attention to the band for whatever reason though um i ended up getting theater of salvation first and then backtracking you know i think it was pat who had said like oh if you like theater of salvation you gotta hear being glory opera and being that there wasn't really much else to go on at that point being that um savage poetry hadn't even hadn't even been re-recorded yet it was the, the natural next album for me and i remember really liking it i remember and I probably mentioned this on the Theater of Salvation episode is that I had such a hard time picking songs from that album to put on on mixtapes because I, I didn't think anything stuck out because the album was so solid start to finish. And my favorite song would end up being the, you know, the 13 minute title track. And I wasn't about to put that on a mixtape due to its, its length. So I, I don't think I ever ended up using any songs from that album on a mixtape, whereas this to me, this album had some songs that really stuck out. I believe I used Out of Control and Until We Rise Again on some earlier playlists without looking. Um, 
Definitely, I went Scarlet Rose, of course, because God knows I needed to put a, a power ballad on every <laughs> mixtape. Um, but then, there, you know, going back on it, there's especially towards the end of the album, I feel like the album kind of drifts drifts off in a in a kind of lackluster lackluster kind of way. Although, if you, I, I have some things to say about the the bonus track, but uh, I, I'm rambling. Why don't you say things now? Uh, well, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, you know, I look back on this and, and there were a couple of things that I just did not realize at all about this album. Number one, we, we have, obviously Dirk Sauer and Jens Ludwig are, are on guitars. That That is an Ed Guy staple. But what I didn't realize is that Toby not only does the vocals and the keyboards, but he plays bass on this album. Had no idea. And they had to basically bring in a guy by the name of Frank Lindenthal to do the drums. Apparently, he was like a friend of the band and he's just like lays down these drum tracks. I had no idea. And so really, it's a three-piece band with a hired gun as a drummer, but yet they're able to bring on two guest musicians, uh, one that does vocals on two tracks and, and another that does a guitar solo on one of the tracks. But like arguably the two biggest names or two of the biggest names in power metal in 1998 and that's Hansi Kirsch and Timo Tolki respectively. I thought that was absolutely fascinating that like, here's this little German band, but they're able to get these guest spots at a time when guest spots were not as common as they are now. Yeah. And I think that, that, that having Hansi on there, especially I think really lent, lent credibility to this band that um, not a lot of people probably knew at that time. One of the things that I think is absolutely fascinating about this band is like, we constantly talk about, the whole revolving door and incestuous band members in metal and stuff. This is a band who, other than Dominic Storch, who was their drummer up until uh, right before this album came out, um, there aren't any other former members of Ed Guy except for drummer Dominic Storch that were like full-time, like recognized members of the band. Um, Toby Axel and Felix Bonk uh, or Bonke. Uh, both joined the band in time for Theater of Salvation, and the band's lineup was the same all the way up until now. Whether or not you consider the band, uh, it, you know, in existence still or not, I, right, right. I don't think that they, they haven't officially like announced that they've retired or anything. But you know, much like Gamma Ray, for all intents and purposes, that the band's pretty much on hold right now um, in favor of the. The larger moneymaker, much like uh, Kai and Halloween, uh, Toby and, and Avantasia. Although uh, Felix, I believe, is the uh, also drumming for Avantasia as well. Uh, but yeah, this has been a very consistent lineup, and um, it, it hasn't completely formed at this point, as you as you said. Um, Even though he's not on the album, I'll give you a little trivia question. Do you have any idea who what Felix Bonk is up to now? Uh, I think he's at home playing Bonk's Adventure on his <laughs> Turbo Graphics 16. He might be, except he's actually the drummer for a band. Well, I should say the former singer of a band that I mentioned earlier. He's Jeff Tate's drummer. So I remember, I, so I saw Jeff Tate in concert maybe, I don't know, two or three years ago. And he was the drummer for Jeff Tate. I, I, I think he might have been the only person in the crowd that knew his former life, but it was, uh, needless to say, he did a very good job playing Operation Mind Crime in its entirety. I have to wonder if that came about after Jeff Tate toured with Avantasia and hmm. saw him play live, or you might if, be right. uh, 
Or before that. I mean, who would have ever guessed that Kiko Lorero from Anger would be the guitarist for Megadeth? And isn't there, isn't Megadeth's drummer the guy from the, used to be in Soil Work? Yes. Or, or that is correct. Of, so some of these like European guys are really getting, uh, you know, we talked about um, Michelle Lupi being with, uh, what band was he playing with? Um, White Snake. White Snake, like it's 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 wild. Uh, so you know, good for these guys. There, there's so much talent, um, and it's cool seeing them get uh, some bigger gigs. I guess, especially considering that, like I mentioned before, like Ed guy's not really doing very much. So you know, it's nice to see the rest of the guys. You know, keeping busy. We talked to Jens, you know, a couple of years ago about his uh, project at the time. So it's it's cool. It's cool seeing that they're. I have a feeling, though, that, um, you know, Vakken's going to come calling one of these days and there'll be a reunion show. And, and I, I just don't see, uh, I don't see Ed Guy as playing there. They might, maybe they might not record anymore, but I don't see them as uh, play their last show. No, in fact, Halloween was just announced as one of the headliners for Vakken. So I can only imagine Ed Guy getting a similar shot at it at some point, especially because Avantasia's done it. So if Avantasia has done it and Halloween's doing it, at some point, I could imagine Ed Guy getting the call saying, you know, go play a, a set of your classic material. But I digress. Let's let's talk about some Banglory Opera. This 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 album starts off with a minute and a half intro that can only be described. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing because I just I well, I, I, I'll say it this way. Chris, what comes to mind when you hear Overture by Banglory Opera? Uh, the Keeper. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, to most people means nothing um <laughs> uh the, the to most people it doesn't mean a damn thing but um to to uh, us um and a very small other number of people um this uh reminds us of couch potatoes um what's couch you know, potatoes chris uh maybe maybe we need to post it uh maybe maybe if you sign up for the uh the, the highest level of patreon we'll share the video for you but uh i don't think the prices is, are high enough um yeah it's a, it's a video that uh justin and and our friend nick made when they were in high school and uh the 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 whole idea of it was uh that these two guys would be watching tv and they would change the channel and we would act out what they were watching on each channel and one of the things we chose was it's a wrestling channel and uh one of the one of the guys, one of the characters that come out was called the keeper. And he had this big silver, like hooded robe thing on. Um, <laughs> and it just was kind of reminds you of like the, that keeper guy from the, the keeper of the seven keys album covers. It was played by our, our good friend, Mike. And he came out to this song in very dramatic fashion and then proceeded to unhood himself to, to, you know, showing the, the face of the man underneath. Um, and, and so, yeah, this song is forever ruined for, because of that. Uh, but I it, it makes me, it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. I can't listen to it. I mean, other than the nostalgia feel, it's absolutely, um, well, it's got the nostalgia feel, if nothing else, the orchestration is there. The chants are there. I mean, it's all on display. But then we get into a real the opening track until we rise again, and you can immediately see how their songwriting has improved for this band. Um, when you compare it to some of their prior stuff, this, in my opinion, is the song that really kind of launches the classic Ed Guy era. Better production uh, on this for sure. Ironically, not perfect, but I didn't realize that 
Timo Tolki was helped with the mixing of this, which I had no idea. Very, very interesting. Um, and, and the choruses, they, what's interesting is they feel that they have like these layered vocals, which I don't know that I ever realized or picked up on when I was younger, but like, there's almost like layers to the, to the, to the vocals. Um, this is your quintessential opening track to a power metal album. And the song holds up great. And, and this, what's interesting is you have like a young Tobias Salmon on vocals and you can hear how like young he sounds on this, but it's, it's, it's charming. Nonetheless, it's a great power metal tune. Yeah, this one really knocked my socks off the first time I heard it. I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this is pretty killer!" Like, you know, your 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 classic Halloween inspired, you know, classical style intro, and then right into like this blistering power metal tune. Um, this still holds up for me. I think it always will. Uh, it's just a really really good tune. And um, if you ever if if anyone's ever had a chance of listening to Kingdom of Madness, you you would really you really appreciate the the imp, the improvement in the the sound or the overall production here, uh, which I think jumped even further with Theater of Salvation. I think they really found their sound in a lot of different ways, but production wise as well. Uh, this is a little bit rougher than than Theater, but still a pretty solid a pretty solid production for the time. Uh, and for like a, a fairly newer band that I assume was probably working with a limited budget. Um, I don't think that it's uh, anything that kind of is bothersome to listen to as some older material can be at times. We've um, listened to albums that sound a lot worse. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, recently, uh, I'm looking at you, Thor. Uh, Thorson. <laughs> uh, Thor Thorson and the Thorsons. Um, but uh, yeah, this... Uh, I, I I enjoy this song a lot. Um, picking a song of the week was was hard for me. I, I think um, I'm just gonna pick the song that I like the most and not not be real fan, not try to be fancy about it. Um, but this is definitely probably in the top three or four on this album for me. I I like this song quite a bit, um, and and it really I think it shows off the uh, much like Eagle Fly Free, where you're getting a little bit of uh, everything towards the end. You get to hear the bass and the drums and and the guitars and everything. This kind of does that same sort of thing. Um, but in a more, uh, Ed guy, uh, you know, trademark sort of way. Like this is them kind of really showing what kind of band that they were, they were going to be going forward. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's obviously upbeat and fast and then it kind of slows down just a touch with how many miles, which is more of like an anthemic tomb. It, it's kind of, um, there's a pacing to this song, which is really, really interesting. I want to share my thoughts, but I, why don't you talk to us about how many miles and, and, and your your thoughts on this? Because I have some strong opinions on this one. Uh, yeah, this is a song that I think I probably didn't appreciate as much as I should have back in the day. Um, because it's got these... The keyboards at the beginning are, are remind me so much of Power Quest. I know I bring up Power Quest a lot, but... I think that they're... Well, it was know, weird because when we started talking about Emperor offline, you started talking about Power Quest, and I said, just because there's keyboards doesn't mean they sound anything alike. They sound exactly the same. <laughs> um, but, like, to me, like, Steve Steve Williams was always the master of these, these really great uh, keyboard chords. And this song has... You know, I don't... I don't really... I don't think of Ed Guy as a very keyboardy kind of band, but when I go back and listen to this this song... 
like it's very key the keyboards really drive the whole tune forward and it's for a mid for a more mid-tempo kind of song i mean the chorus is pretty fast but the rest of the song is pretty much like a, a mid-tempo song it's it's super catchy it's really memorable and um i like this one a lot it's it's up there for me on this album as far as um great songs i i think that we'll talk about the album on a whole but i feel like the um the album is a little bit top heavy um and i think this song kind of helps uh pull that the weight towards the the top i you kind of hit the nail on the head with the first thing you said and that's you never really appreciated this song i guess back in the day I got to be honest, going back to an album, which I thought I knew very well, I just kind of forgot about this trap track. I loved it. I thought that this song was phenomenal. I thought the verses were really good and how it just picks up steam during the choruses. It was almost like proggy because of the way that the pacing kind of changes throughout. It never gets blazing fast, but it, it, the, it there's these like changes of pace between the verses and the chorus. I thought it was awesome. This is a wildly, wildly under, underrated tune and a song that I think if I was going to make an ideal set list, I'd probably at this point put it in a live set list. I'm going to make it my song of the week because it was the song that put the smile on my face more than any other. And it's probably because I haven't played it as much as some of the others. So let's give it a listen and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about um, how many miles. As I was listening to the track this week, I for some reason it kept reminding me of something, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I hate when that happens. But it, the song itself just reminded me of something else, but it, it never came to me. It reminds the beginning of it reminds me of something that I would be shocked if you shared the same sentiment. But um, it reminds me of um, a part of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original movie soundtrack um the the key part the keyboard part um i would have to like literally find the song and like post the part of the song that it reminds me of um but that's just my warped comic or not comic book but uh just my warped uh pop culture brain uh crossing the wires crossing the wires if you will but that's the song yes yeah. so if anybody out there if how many miles makes me think of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 film soundtrack. Uh, please, please reach out to me and um, I'll let you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the address of my padded room. <laughs> uh, no, I, I did, that didn't occur to me, but it, it, there was something there for sure. Um, we, we, we move on to Scarlet Rose, which you mentioned earlier. One of a few ballads on this 
album, which is not terribly long. So I find that interesting. Um, it starts with this beautiful acoustic guitar intro with Toby's vocals on top. Um, and the verses are actually better than I remember. Um, and, and the chorus rather depressing. <laughs> it, it definitely sets the mood. Um, I don't know what mood it is, but it, it set, it definitely it sets the tone. Um, one criticism I have, and, and this is a very good song, but there's these layered vocals during the, during the, um, the choruses. I just didn't think they were necessary. I thought that this was an example of where less would have been more. And if they would have just had Toby sing this straight, I think it would have probably done a little bit better for me. Um, but nonetheless, about halfway through the song, the full band comes in and, um, I don't know, there's something about it where like, other than the guitars, which are just phenomenal throughout the entire thing, I it's the best ballad on the album for my money, but there's just elements of it that I don't love, which makes it not a perfect song. Okay. <laughs> uh, I still really like it. I always liked it when I was younger, when I was like really ballad obsessed. Um, but uh, there's some really good like Spanish guitar work. And, and um, I just think like, yeah, like every friggin' power metal band was making a song like this around this time, but I think this is on the the higher end uh, quality wise, especially because I didn't think Theater of Salvation had a real, uh, gr- like a really great ballad on they it. It ran and out think- after this album because they had uh, so many. Yeah, I mean, and, and Ed Guy does a pretty good job writing these. Like, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a love song or a or a a breakup song or whatever, but, um, I, I, I always like this song. I still do. It, it's, uh, I, I had mentioned in the past, and I think I actually posted the, the playlist uh, that I made long time ago of, um, kind of, uh, bedtime metal songs, uh, stuff to listen to, to, and this was on it. Um, it's kind of like a power ballad slash, you know, chill metal mix. And, uh, I, I just, yeah, I really like it. I, it's, it's a, it's odd to me that um it's so early on the album because usually like a, a the the big the big home run ballad is usually closer to the end of the album um, but I guess as you mentioned there are at least two other uh, ballad type songs so I guess you kind of had to space them out. Yeah, I think that's exactly why they did it. And they could have put this one further back, but that would have just meant pushing one of the other ones up that may not be as good overall. So I think that that's why, why it was up front. Um, but then it ends after it ends. And then we get into arguably my favorite track on the album, and that's Out of Control. The beginning of this song sounds like Sunday Mass for all the Catholics out there, right? With the organs. Like it really, um, I mean, it reminds you of church, but then all of a sudden the band kicks in and you get this slow, epic tune that has this big feel with a big, 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 especially at the time, uh, guest vocal performance by Hansi Kirsch, which, you know, whether that was done as a favor to Toby or what have you, it's phenomenal. And it, the way they use his vocals in this track is nothing short of phenomenal. Um, just a great, simple riff throughout a song that you want to bang your head to. Um, and, and just, you know, one of the most iconic choruses on the entire album. What are your thoughts? And I have to think it's one of your favorites. You know, I'm trying to remember if this was the first time I ever heard Hanzi or if it was on um, the Gamma Ray's Land of the Free album, which we've talked about previously. But I, I know that... I had heard him on both of those, both of the albums before I had purchased my first Blind Guardian album, which incidentally was uh, Nightfall and Middle Earth, which we also discussed not that long ago. Um, 
that being said, yeah, this was um always a standout song even from the beginning, and uh, I I think that it still is again probably in my top three or four songs on the uh, the album. I think that the the Hanzi parts are really well placed and and they really add a cool layer uh to a to an otherwise really really strong song i i think that um this and then the following track the title track these two are really heavy hitter songs right in the pretty much the dead center part of the the album um and you know i was saying while we were uh taking a break for the song the last song um this album may have been better suited for uh, with a different order just because i feel like these first i don't know these first six tracks i think um at least four even if you want to count scarlet rose like you have like really heavy hitting tracks and then it kind of moves on to i think fairy tale and walk on fighting are good songs um but then after that it kind of um i don't know i'll I'll talk about it when we get to it i don't want to give away too much up front but um yeah, this and Vainglory Opera together are, are a pretty pretty big one-two punch of uh, of real just heavy power metal classics. And and Vainglory Opera is like the big epic on the album in that it comes in at over six minutes. Um, what's really notable here is that the keyboard intro and they kind of mimic this during the solo. Uh, you know, later on in the song, it has a real feel of Galaxies by Stradivarius, like. You almost wonder if Timo Tolki was helping them in the studio when he was doing the mix. He's like, you got to add this here. But it was literally just ripping off a song that he had, you know, essentially wrote a couple of years prior. Um, I just, I, I hear that loud and clear and I, it makes me think of Fourth Dimension every time I hear it. But this song has this like slow gallop to it, which I think that you're, it almost makes the listener kind of wait for the big payoff. And it definitely comes in what I would say is like this big cheesy chorus, but it's like really, you know, it's what you'd expect for, for power metal. Um, I think it's a very, very good song. Um, and I think that having Hanzi on the bridge is just an amazing touch. Not, not quite as powerful as out of control, but just a really nice touch. Um, this is the song I think more than any other, which makes me think of what Avantasia would ultimately become, because I think this was like a preview of what, what Avantasia would ultimately be. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, that that is my uh, that that is what I'm going to contribute here. Um, yeah, I I completely agree with that sentiment. Um, I, I I love the the galaxies uh, rip. Um, it really does sound like the same like keyboard track that they used or whatever you want to call it. Um, it it's uh, it, it's funny. I never really put two and two together. Like I realized Timo Tolki was involved. Uh, uh, now that I think about it, yeah, maybe he did have a little something to say. Um, but uh, this has just all the elements of Ed guy that I really like. And um, it, it's like you said, it does have that kind of gallop to it, especially at the beginning. It's not one of the fastest songs on the album, but I think it's, I think it's the best song on the album. And uh, for that reason, it is my song of the week, the title track, Being Glory Opera. And we'll uh, we'll give it a quick listen, and then we'll uh, we'll come back and talk about Ed Guy some more. Maybe join my way to bring me a victory. 
excellent choice. I, I, I'm not terribly surprised that you picked this. I, 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 I thought you were going to choose this or out of control. So I, I had a one out of two shot and I guess I was right. Um, very, well, you, very good. You know, just to, just to pull it up to something kind of, um, you know, re- recent and modern, like this sounds, this sounds like it could have had some influence on our friend Johannes's Skyblazer, uh, you know, album, especially that, that song that we both, um, agreed that we enjoyed so much, which, um, was, uh, under the blazing sky, how it has that kind of same kind of keyboard tone at the beginning. Um, so just to, uh, bring in something a little bit um, more on the, on the modern side, uh, that, that also made me think of that as well. Nice. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. That's the, the end of the first half of the album, if you will. And you really only had one blisteringly fast track as far as power metal goes. It would be the next track, Fairy Tale, which kind of brings you back into that mold. It's, it's fast. It's upbeat. It's, it's quite good. It has that quintessential power metal drumming um, pattern and a chorus, which is quite good but very repetitive. And I think that here, the, the, the verses and the guitar riffs are what kind of stood out to me. And it was like a toe tapper. I found myself kind of like tapping along to this one as I was listening to it. Um, the instrumental section kind of slows everything down just a bit. And then I thought that that was kind of a nice touch to bring it down a little bit. And then at least the first one. And then the second one is really just like your, your quintessential power metal um, instrumental section. A forgotten tune, a tune that nobody talks about when they talk about Ed Guy. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's um, probably one of their most underrated songs. It's a really good tune. Um, I, being that I had uh, Theater Salvation first, I had the Japanese edition, and um, it had bonus tracks of Fairy Tale and Walk on Fighting. Incidentally, the song, the the next song, uh, live versions of both. So I knew those two songs. They were the only two songs I knew from this album when I uh, would eventually purchase it. Um, I was disappointed that I was retroactively disappointed that Toby hits this high note and the studio version, and he doesn't do it on the live version. And I retroactively was sad because it sounded so cool. Um, I'm not going to try to reenact, reenact it, but thank um, you. Yeah, uh, this is a really good, again, like you said, like going back to a bit more of a faster pace. But uh, yeah, I, I also like the part where it just goes, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> uh, you know, it's almost like a little taste of what would come as Ed Guy would get progressively goofier as the years <laughs> w- would go on. Um, actually, we'll, we'll talk about But Here I Am, which uh, is kind of a their first delve into being ridiculous, I think, but um, really good tune. Uh, I like this one a lot. And, and um, it was, you know, one of the first two songs I had ever heard from this album. So I kind of holds a special place for that, that reason alone. Well, talk about the second track that um, you heard from the album, which was walk on fighting. I, I I'm curious to hear your thoughts because things jumped out to me on this track that I never realized before. Yeah. You know, just uh, in a macro sense that these two songs were the live tracks they chose to use as bonus tracks on theater of salvation. And like, you have to question if they ever played either of these songs live again after the, yeah, after the big opera tour. Um, but they were, they came across really, really strong live. I thought um, they were, they, you know, they were recorded really well. And um, 
I enjoyed those live versions a lot. This is like this song is like a totally different type of song after Fairy Tale. Again, it goes back to um, maybe even a a slightly slower pace than How Many Miles, which was also kind of a, a mid tempo song, but. This one I think is as more of a deliberate pace to it, um, but again, this is a, a, a I think another really strong song. Um, I think that it kind of unfortunately has the 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 distinction of following like a really hard to keep up with pace of um, not pace but uh, quality of songs. I mean. You know, until we rise again, how many miles? Scarlet Rose, out of control, Vain Glory Opera, Fairy Tale. Like these are all some of Ed Guy's greatest songs ever. And then eventually, you know, you get to a point where, like, while the song I think I still think is very good, it doesn't quite hit the mark as much as those previous songs do. Um, even if it's just like just slightly doesn't hit, hit the mark. Um, but it's a good example of that Ed Guy's not a one-trick pony that's just going to do super fast, you know, super fast power metal, you know, Eagle Fly Free tributes and, you know, power ballads. Um, they, there's there's definitely some really good stuff that are in between those two extremes. When you listen to the guitar intro and the slow drums, I actually thought this song was going to be a power ballad. Of course, I knew what it was, but I could, it gives the impression like it's going to be a power ballad. But it's really more of just like a hard rock tune, and it's different. It's so different. And you mentioned this. It's so different than the rest of the album. In my opinion, and you're going to think I'm nuts because I actually had this in my notes prior to this past Saturday. I actually think it has an early Queensryche feel to it. It reminds me of something that you would have heard off The Warning or um, – you know, Rage for Order in nineteen nine, you know, nine, you know, nineteen eighty six or something like that. The chorus is simple but effective, and it's just the guitar, even the guitar solo has like an eighties feel to it. So, like when I think of this track, I think of like leather jackets, muscle cars, and like hairspray. That's that's what I think of when I hear this song. But I don't get that sense from anything else on the album. So it really is kind of an outlier. And then we get to the back of the album with tomorrow, and and we'll get to the rest, but. This is where it just kind of loses me a bit. Tomorrow is has this very um, heavy orchestration, an intro with a, like heavy orchestration. It almost sounds like a video game soundtrack in a way. Um, and it's the second true ballad on, on the album. It's just not as good, in my opinion, as Scarlet Rose. It's just – it's not a bad tune. It's just a little boring. And, and it starts off this back end of the album where like – it was almost like they were out of ideas but wanted to make the album a little longer. So they kind of just put stuff on there, which may have been better suited for bonus tracks or something like that. Yeah. Um, the song never really did a, a whole a whole lot for me, honestly. Um, it's Like you said, it's fine. Um, it's a little bit... Uh, it's almost like a little bit too melodramatic, if that makes yeah, any sense. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. But it's the shortest song on the album, so they it's got that going for it. It's under four minutes, so it's a relatively quick listen, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's fine. Um, I would have been okay with this being a bonus track, I guess. Um, but, I mean, also, you don't want to just start cutting songs off the album because next thing you know, you you have an EP on your hands. Because um, it's not a terribly long album to begin with it, it clocks in around 50 minutes um but it's fine i mean when you have um 
when you have uh, uh, you know this and um, Scarlet Rose and him, it's like maybe you could have left this one out. I guess um, that's kind of you know, how I looked at it. Yeah, it's my it, least it's, favorite it's, song on the album. Yeah, it's probably one of mine as well. Um, and again, like it, it really kind of kill. It almost I don't wouldn't say kills the momentum, but it definitely slows down the momentum because the first eight tracks are just like at the very worst, very very good. <laughs> so well, yeah, I, I agree with that. And 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 ironically, they kind of piggyback tomorrow with a song called No More Foolin'. And this is a quintessential example of when power metal bands try too hard to just do a straight-up metal song. When Gamma Ray does it, it sucks. When Ed Guy does it, it sucks. And You know re- what it is, Justin? It's when, it's when power metal bands try to be Judas Priest. Exactly. You, I, you are 100% right, but every time they do it, it's not good. And this yeah, leave is, it to this, Judas Priest. Judas, Judas Priest was doing it just fine. I, I literally almost picked the Judas Priest album this week. Fast forward, I didn't, but I almost picked the Judas Priest album just to wipe my taste away from this. I literally had Painkiller in the queue, but I decided to, to put that on hold for a bit. Um, but yeah, this is just a straight up heavy metal tune. It's fast. It's heavy. It's just not very good. And if I wanted to hear this, I would just put on, you know, a Judas Priest album. It's just something is missing here and the chorus sucks and not, 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 not a fan of this tune. Yeah, and I, I never was, and I, I'm still not. Um, it, it reminds me also of uh, Avantasia has a song called The Final Sacrifice, which was a B-side from Metal Opera Part 1 that ended up being repurposed and actually used as a main track on Part 2. It has uh, Virgin, Virgin Steel's David DeFice on, on vocals, who who is awesome. Like I love that he, looking back on it, that he was a part of those early Avantasia albums because he has such a totally unique voice that it was cool to hear it. Um, I would love to see him go like join Avantasia on tour and just be like that outlier vocalist or whatever. But um, that, that was in a song also that I just didn't think was very good. It was like Tobias was trying too hard to do something that was really heavy and it just kind of fell flat. And um, I feel the same way about this song and, and it's kind of a bummer because it's the last, like, really heavy song on the album, and it's it's to me easily the worst of of the heavy songs. It might it might even be my least favorite song on the album altogether. I I think that's fair. Um, I, I think that the Avantasia song you mentioned that it, it would actually like blows this song away. That's how much I don't care for this particular track. Um, but yeah, it's just just a miss for me. And then they get to him, which. I don't know that I ever realized it was an Ultravox cover. Like, I just don't think I ever knew that, but it is. And it's really just a third, ba- third ballad on, a, on an album that has 10 proper tracks, right? Because you have Overture at the beginning and then him at the end. It's basically 10 tracks and three ballads, which is no- normally not the percentage um, of ballads that you'd otherwise think. What are your thoughts on this? Because I have a couple, but I, I want to hear what you have to say. It's definitely better than the last two tracks. I'll, I'll give it that, but mm-hmm. it probably is still my third least favorite. I mean, like my three least favorite songs on the album are the le- the last three songs, which I think this is why the album kind of takes a dive for me towards the end for that very reason. Um, 
I, I I'm fascinated by metal bands obsession with Ultravox. I mean, it's second only to ABBA when it comes to um, like synthy new wave bands that metal bands like to cover. Um, it's cool. I, I feel like I didn't appreciate this song as much as I, I as much as I do now when I was younger. Um, it's just odd to like to finish off an album with a cover to me. Um, but um, it's it's pretty good. I, but it, like it's a pretty good song. But and it's definitely the best of the last three. But it's just disappointing that that the album finishes off with these three tracks when the first eight tracks. I mean, mind you, one of them was a minute and a half intro starring Mike Crea. Um, <laughs> it was such a strong start, and then it, it it's just kind of this you know mediocre kind of end on these last three tunes, but, um, I actually like this. I gotta be honest. Like, I think the guitar solo is fantastic. It's uber melodic. Um, I, 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 again, not knowing that it was a cover, this was news to me, but like, I really like this track and, and they give this nod to power and glory. And who doesn't like, like Hercules and Paul Roma. I mean, to me, this is just a really fun way to end the album. And then I have a confession to make. I gotta, I, I, I've, I've listened to this album for 25 years I don't know that I've ever heard, but here I am, the bonus track that you mentioned earlier. I don't think I've ever heard it. So I'm going to have to kind of give you the floor. What is this and what have I been missing? (laughs) Yeah, this song has a very um, funny nostalgia thing for me because I, um, I remember I was, you know, obsessed with, bonus tracks and and i was always like you know trying to find stuff that i that i knew existed but i didn't have in my possession and um it started it all started with halloween's massive catalog of b-sides and bonus tracks um that i found somebody online who sold a a a burned disc of halloween b-sides and bonus tracks that I I was blown away that this band that I loved had so many songs that were just not on, you know, the full length album. So I when when I had realized that Ed Guy had a bonus track from Vainglory Opera, I had to seek it out. And what I found was, I found I probably on Napster was a a ninety six uh, megabits per second uh, recording, which if if you know anything about MP threes, it's not the best sound. Um, I personally consider 128 to be like the bare minimum of listenable I would agree MP3. With that. And so this was, I'll never forget, it was 96, so it sounded like, it sounded pretty assy, to be fair. Um, I think I later on found a better version of it, but I played this song for Knops when I was in college, and he absolutely loved this song. Um, just because of like how goofy it was, I think it actually made it onto an audio power hour at one point in time. If you could imagine of all huh. the, the metal songs in the world, um, it has that, what would kind of become the like tried and true Ed guy, random speaking during the song, which, which they would go on to master with lavatory love machine. Um, but I mean, to me, like this was just Ed guy kind of dipping their toe in the water of just, writing a really ridiculous, goofy, comical kind of song and releasing it. Uh, just it happens to be a bonus track, but um, I think that it kind of ends the album in, in a little bit less of a, of a, a down 
a down a down feel um because like i said like the last three tracks i mean i agree with you that him is a, is a cool cover and it's a pretty good song but it just doesn't compare with to me to the those first eight tracks and so this is kind of a, a fun way to put a bow on, on a on a pretty uh a pretty solid and a pretty iconic album yeah well i gotta be honest now i've got my homework so as soon as we're done i'm gonna listen to a brand new ed guy track for the first time um in 25 years but I- I'm, I'm i'm curious of two things number one obviously i'm gonna ask you what your score is scale of one to ten but I, two, I want to ask you what you think your score would have been before the week started, because this is one of the few times where I think my score might have gone down just a touch. Not a lot, but just a touch because of some of the tracks that didn't resonate with me. Yeah, I, I would say just a touch for me as well. Um, I I would still give it um, – you know, I, I'm going to give it one of my wishy-washy scores. I'm going to give it a, an 8.625. Um, <laughs> Right, like right in between an eight and a half and an eight point seven five. I think that, like, had you asked me before I listened to it, I think I might have said it was closer to a nine. Uh, we both gave Theater of Salvation a nine just for um, comparison's sake. Yeah, and I do think that this album, on a whole, is a shade um, not a shade not as good as Theater of Salvation. That being said, though. Um, the first eight tracks are pretty much as good as it gets for me when it comes to Ed Guy and and power metal power metal in uh, general. So um, I think that really holds the uh, really holds the score up in my in my opinion, um, despite a, a weaker kind of end end, end point. Um, how about you? What where are you landing on this? I think I would have said it was an eight and a half if I hadn't listened to it this week. It's, but having, you know, digested it again and again, it's an eight for me. Um, definitely not as good as theater. I, I, I do think that that's the superior album. I thought that going into the week that hasn't changed. Um, but there is a lot to enjoy here. And I know I was hard on it, but it's still an eight for me. It's just that I can't get it into that rarefied air because there's just a little bit too much, um, dead weight that they have to carry but it's still a very enjoyable listen and amongst for my money a probably a top three ed guy album in in the discography yeah I, hard to argue um i'm sure at some point we'll talk about some of the other albums in full I, particularly i would like to talk about um hellfire club which i i think that um some people consider ed guy's best album i I think it's definitely in contention. Um, I'll say some of my all-time favorite Ed Guy songs are appear on Mandrake, um, including what I consider to be maybe the the most underrated Ed Guy song of all time, Jerusalem. Hmm. Um, but uh, all in due time, I, this was only our second Ed Guy episode. Um, so I'm sure we'll be returning uh, to talk about them again. But... Um, we talked about uh, at least my first two Ed Guy albums and uh, probably yours as well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I've, I look forward to talking about more of their stuff because since they are not active, I just find myself not listening to them as much as some other bands that you know are still around and kicking. So um, it's interesting to me, but uh, it's actually a perfect segue in many regards because there was a band that was completely dormant for many years that has announced a reunion after a long time apart. And that's Elegy. 
uh, a band that we have not talked about on the podcast, but Elegy has announced their reunion. They're coming out with, um, they're re-releasing all their old material. They're going back out on tour from what I understand. Um, I would probably be very happy if this band played prog power. I'm not going to lie. I am a huge fan uh, of Ian Parry's vocals, and I just love the guitar work on some of this stuff. And after uh, a long time away, Elegy is back uh, in 2023. I never thought I would say those words. So we go from Ed Guy to Elegy, but here's hoping. I did not know that, and that is awesome. Uh, <laughs> that is really cool. Um, yeah, they their last album came out 21 years ago, so... Uh, yeah, it kind of feels like Conception uh, coming, getting back together. Just a band that hasn't made an album in twenty plus years. Um, that's exciting. And it's is it the uh, the original lineup or the classic lineup? Do we know? Or? Well, it's got Ian Parry on vocals, who was not their uh, original singer. Uh, Edward Havinga was their original singer, but. He's very good. And quite frankly, we should probably do two Elegy albums at some point, one with each of the singers because they are uh, markedly different. But they, they, they're they a band that kind of like – they're a prog band, but they also kind of touch other things as well. There's a touch of power metal and a touch of thrash in, in certain spots. I just think they're a very interesting band, and I never thought that they would get back together. I had heard that there was all sorts of things going on in their camp. So when I saw this, um, I nearly fell out of my chair. I – really hope that they get over here or play 70,000 tons or something because uh, it is a long time coming. I would be very happy to see them. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I um, only own one album from Which one? Elegy supremacy. Oh, okay. Uh, so you, so you know the original singer, but um, there's a lot of meat on the bone that you need to check out with these guys. And I will probably pick an album then because now that they're back together and you got some homework to do. So I look forward oh, maybe, to it. Maybe we should do a career retrospective like we did with Conception. Well, you better, you better, uh, you better have some time because they have a few, they have quite a few albums, but I'd love to do it. I, uh, I don't know all of their material as well as I should, although I know quite a bit of it. So. Yeah. Uh, also, I just found out that Ed Warby used to be their drummer. So there you go. Now you know where he's from. And finally, some interesting news. Nightwish has announced that they are basically going out to do Human Nature, uh, or I should say the follow-up to Human Nature. They're coming out with a new album next year. It's going to have 12 songs. They're not going to tour for it, though, which I found interesting because eh, I thought that's where they made you know, a lot of their money, but they, for, for reasons undisclosed, they will not be touring for their next album. So when Nightwish does hit the road again, I'm sure it'll be very exciting um, to see because it'll be a long time coming. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people made more of this than it is because they've done this before where they've taken a touring hiatus, which I think is probably a healthy thing to do when you're a band that plays as often as Nightwish does and travels the world as extensively. Um, so cool. Um, I'm very curious what the next album is going to sound like because that human nature was so, so uh, just generally panned by so many people. Um, it, it's, it's funny because like the highest compliment I've heard that album get was I didn't hate it. Ooh, and I think I was rough. the one who said it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um you know, I think it was a, I think it was a, in, I think it was overpanned. I don't think it was as bad as people made it out to be, but also I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it wasn't 
disappointing because it was. Um, so I'm very, very curious to see what direction they go in after that. I don't know how much of the negative publicity affects what they do at all. Um, or if they even heard any of it. Um, cause if you're smart and you're famous, you stay the hell off of social media. Um, but, uh, meanwhile, we come to find out that former members, Taria and Marco will be doing at least one show together, which is kind of mind boggling to me because I thought that Marco had a lot to do with Taria being asked to leave the band in the first place. Uh, we spoke earlier. They, they only overlapped each other for two albums, century child. And, and once, um, you gotta figure they'll do a cover of Phantom of the Opera. I don't know how, um, how Flora and Hank Port are going to feel about that. Uh, (laughs) but, um, but, uh, I mean, the original Nightwish Phantom of the Opera was, was, uh, was, you know, Taria and, uh, and Marco. So um, I'm very curious, speaking of curiosities, very curious as to what they play. Um, I'd love to see it. I mean, I, I miss Taria's solo set when she played at Prague Power. So I, to this day, I have not seen her perform live, which I think is a uh, a hole that needs to be filled at some point in my, in my fandom. Um, because despite what some might say, I think that she is a legend and uh, all legends should be seen by by fans of the genre. So, um, but yeah, I I think that's such a fascinating thing that the two of them, I what did I, I made a joke that they were going to, they're going to call themselves Nightwish of fire. (laughs) Um, very, very interesting stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, Nightwish goes on a little bit of a hiatus and then all the former members get back together and go out on tour. So go figure. Um, but that brings us to next week and it is my turn to choose. And I went back and forth on about two or three different albums. I I mentioned Judas Priest earlier. I nearly picked uh, a Motley Crue album, but I've decided to go with something completely different um, that a band that we have probably touched upon, but I don't know that we've ever talked about in depth, definitely not on the podcast and probably not offline either. And that is the band is winter sun. And the album is called time one. It came out in 2012. I have to think that you're familiar with the album, at least a little bit. But we've never talked about Winter Sun, and they are one of the most polarizing bands on the planet. So I thought it would make for some interesting discussion. Uh, This album has five tracks. The intro track is about four minutes of, of kind of like, you know, music and orchestration. And another one of the tracks is kind of an instrumental track as well. So it really has like three long tracks on this thing it is a it is a very interesting listen but i want to hear your thoughts on it so that's why i chose it uh you know i have listened to it but it's been a very 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 long time and um actually that that really sets up a perfect segue because um we're really hoping to put a sauna in our metal exchange studio so get onto that patreon and and sign up because i'm not gonna let uh i'm not gonna let What's his name from Winter Sun? Is it is it Yanni or Yari? Y- Yanni? Yeah, Yari. Uh, I'm not going to let Yari be the only guy who gets to pay gets a sauna paid for by the fans. Um, we have goals too. Polarizing, and, uh, like I said, yeah. a very polarizing. And, so, and then when Time Two comes out, 
in 2029 uh, estimated uh, will be recording it from our sauna paid for by the Patreon. So, <laughs> so thank you. Uh, we appreciate everyone who did sign up. We ask everyone else to consider it. Uh, at the very least, if you like what you're hearing, please give us a like and a follow. It helps other people find the uh, podcast. And uh, next week we'll come back with some winter sun. And I promise you, I promise you, our recap of time one will come out long before time two guaranteed (laughs) um so that being said enjoy your week my friend and i will talk to you soon uh you as well looking forward to it uh winter sun time one next week very cool